Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick, and this is episode number 50 of the Mandolins of Beer podcast. The Big 5-0, brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe, and also brought to you by Peghead Nation, with Peghead Nation streaming video courses and mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass. You'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots Music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of mandolin instructors, with courses including Beginning Mandolin, Intermediate Bluegrass Mandolin, Bluegrass Mandolin Fingerboard, Sharon Gilchrist, Bluegrass Mandolin Jam Favorites, and the Advancing Mandolinist with Joe K. Walsh. I've been spending some time on that this week. Monroe-style mandolin with Mike Compton, Melodic Mandolin Tunes with John Reichman, Chord Melody Mandolin with Aaron Weinstein, Irish Mandolin with Marla Feibish, and Theory for Mandolin and Fiddle with Chad Manning. Courses include high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month free. Just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER at checkout. It's also brought to you by Northfield Mandolins. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Go to their website. they got a bunch of great stuff, great videos, and uh, just it's a beautiful website just for mandolin pictures. So go and check them out. Thank you to Northfield, Peghead Nation, and, of course, Mandolin Cafe. And thank you to you guys. Really, really appreciate it. But holy shnikes, this week, this computer, sorry this is late. I'm recording this right now. It's 3 p.m. Thursday afternoon, and it is finally uh, done being edited. So I apologize for the delay, just having uh, some computer issues. Um, which is always a good time, as you can imagine. Yeah, but that's all right. I have a gig tonight. That's good. Um, but pretty much all my sweet gigs, corporate gigs and all that stuff are canceled through the year now. So if you need any merch, you can go to the uh, mandolinsofbeer.com and get some merchandise there. And you can get some stickers, hats, or shirts. Also, if you just want to support the podcast, four bucks a month, you can go to my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash mandolinsofbeer. And then for eight bucks a month, though, uh, you get a bunch of video stuff and tabs. And I actually just posted last week one of my favorite uh, string skipping exercises that I've uh, been working on for a few weeks now. It's super easy in theory, but to get it really clean. But it's I've noticed it in my playing so much in the past week. I learned it from some like guitar player. So it's good stuff. So thank you so much. Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Mandolin's and Beer, obviously. Facebook, go to the website. Uh, I have got some Awesome guests coming up here in the next few weeks. Next week is episode 51, which I guess is it. I don't know. Am I going to have a season two for episode 52? I don't know. But uh, I'm closing out the year with just an incredible guest. And I'm starting off the year with an incredible guest. Uh, And then I'm also doing a track-by-track episode with another incredible guest. So I'm pretty excited for the next few weeks of interviews. And I was really excited to finally post this one today uh, with Thomas. Um, some of these interviews, the great thing about people in this world, man, is they're so nice. And some uh, Thomas and I talked, I think, for hours. Uh, you know, this, there was this episode, and then we talked after and before. And Thomas is a great guy and just a killer player, so be sure to go and support him. Go to his website. I'll have all the links at mandolinsbeer.com. Get his album. Get Circus Number 9's album. And uh, go to Spotify Playlist and check out the songs from this week's episode. Here you go. Cheers, everybody. Now I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Thomas Castle. Thomas, how's it going, man? It's good. It's it's nice. It's about 90 degrees today in Johnson City, Tennessee. So Yeah, we are at about 98 in Charleston today. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I wanted to go for a run last night, and it was like 7 o'clock, and it, was, um, it said real feel on the thermometer. It was 101. <laughs> I'm good. 7 o'clock, huh? I think I'll just go to bed. <laughs> yeah, that's rest is better for your health exactly exactly oh my god it's hilarious so what do you 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 do you have so much going on right now um uh so let's start with what you have going on because every time i look at your your social media stuff you have some incredible cool thing going so what what's going on in your world currently yeah it's funny um i've actually been busy the last few days um which it's it's weird you know i've had like three months off essentially since the middle of March, I haven't done anything. And if I have, it's been from my computer or something, but, <laughs> um, and, you know, busy, busy in a safe way, but 
uh, I guess starting last last Friday, we started working on another Circus Number Nine album. This is um, awesome. Yeah, it's, it last one's so fun. good. Yeah, this one's gonna be longer and all new tunes and stuff. We've only played about four of the songs live. Oh, cool. So, like, yeah, the other eight songs are give or take. I'm not sure the exact number, but the other eight tracks, uh, those are all brand new. I mean, no YouTube videos, no live recordings, nothing. So. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's that's uh, yeah. that's very rare in these days too. To, yeah, to be able to keep yeah. it like that. Um, it's it's nice, you know. We we're kind of doing a different thing. The last one was just the band, and it was pretty concentrated because it's really our only record. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a small EP that came out when we first formed, but it's I don't think we play a single song off of it. <laughs> um, oops, sorry about that. Oh, no worries, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we're we're doing a different thing with this one. And we got two drummers. Jeff Sipe's going to play drums on some of it. Uh, With he he's got the best feel. It, oh man! Out there, he kills me, man. Yeah, his train beat is is the best. I saw uh, a video with Jimmy Herring where it was like um, somebody was uh, dissecting the solo that Jimmy Herring played on it, and I think more of the YouTube comments were like, "Yeah, he's killing it," but who is that drummer? <laughs> it was Jeff. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. So yeah, we we kind of wrote a lot of this album. There's one song in particular. I mean, we wrote a lot of this with like this aquarium rescue unit kind of feel. Oh, um, nice. Because that's, I mean, a bluegrass aside, that's like my favorite band. Um, you know, and and Vince, the our bass player, kind of introduced introduced us all to that band a few years ago. Uh, and we, we've done some ARU covers. We've done like Lost Mule in Texas and working on a building and stuff like that before. Um, so yeah, we got, we have Sype playing on a few tracks. And then John Mylander is a great fiddle player. He's with Bruce Hornsby now. Oh yeah. Wow. But he's, we have, I think four songs with fiddle on them, give or take. Um, and then another drummer, uh, Chad Melton, who, He's played with like Missy Raines and Jerry Douglas Band, a um, bunch of people. He lives in Knoxville. And anytime we do the electric circus, which we've done that a couple of times. Oh, that's awesome. We had one scheduled that got canceled in March. Oh, um, really? Anytime we do that, he's our drummer. Oh, um, nice. So, yeah, that's that album's going to be a blast. We've already got five songs cut. So, um, we'll be back in the studio this weekend. And then the weekend after that, and it it it's so far it's on schedule actually ahead of schedule. So <laughs> when it's done, when it's done, it's done. It just has to be mixed and stuff. Where are you recording it at? Uh, ben Surratt. He's got the Rec Room Studio in uh, Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a great spot. We're all we're all ISO, you know, uh, great vintage mic collection. Uh, and yeah, super nice. I think the mile 12 records were done there. Yeah. Yep. A bunch of other records. I, I can't remember specifically, but he's got all of them on the wall. Um, but yeah, great, great spot. So I'm just in Nashville each weekend, which we're not even going into Nashville, just going to the studio, going to bed, going back to the studio. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not even sure. Uh, are there things you can do in Nashville right now? Not that I wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe the pedal taverns are still open, but <laughs> yeah, fast. Uh, but it should be a fun record. It's it's uh, we have a little more instrumental stuff on there. We only had one instrumental in the first record, but this one's got I think four. So, and you also have one um with your brother. Yeah, yeah, that's been a it's been kind of a fun project. We've got it. I'd say we're about 85, 90% done. We released a single um, in June. Yeah, just great because. tune. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I dreamed a pleasant dream. I dreamed I was in Moscow, down by Pearly Stream. The prettiest girl beside me had come to
yeah, shut down, you know, everything we said, all right, well, this one's done. Let's just go ahead and release this as a single. Um, that way something is out there. You know, people were consuming things rapidly. You might as well contribute. And, you know, we wanted to get it out. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be in the studio tomorrow just doing some mandolin edits and stuff like that. But I think we're doing like an eight song album out of it. Uh, just barely more than an EP. But. So th- how did you start playing mandolin? How, what got you, what got you into the mandolin? Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's like I was, I was kind of brought up with it, but not really. Um, my uncle plays mandolin. Don Castle is his name. Uh, he plays mandolin and he used to play in the dismembered Tennesseans. I guess they're now they're called the new dismembered Tennesseans because the founder founder uh, died about three, three years ago. Uh, they were the oldest, I think they're the oldest still together bluegrass band, or at least when, when he died, they were um, because he was the last original member, but yeah, like 19, I don't even know, 47 in there is when they Whoa. started. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've had 50 people throughout the years, but Fletcher Bright, he was, uh, he was in it the whole time. Wow, so that's amazing. I kind of grew up, yeah, I grew up around my uncle playing a lot. And, um, I, you know, I, I was exposed to it uh, that way, but I never really started. And my dad's a huge bluegrass fan. He plays some, he plays guitar. And I grew up going to see Sam Bush and all kinds of stuff. Like, oh. I remember... When I was in the first grade, I took, uh, I think it was the first, I took uh, Peaks of Telluride, the Sam album, into show and tell. (laughs) Did you really? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I took that in, and then I remember when I was in like the third grade or something, I saw one of my teachers at a Sam concert. Whoa. Yeah, it it was super cool. It was this, it was this like festival, or I can't remember what they called it, but it was this like summer concert series kind of thing that happened in Kingsport, Tennessee. And uh, I saw, you know, I saw my teacher there when I was like the third grade. She was just the coolest after that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Um, That's amazing. But so I've always been like exposed to it through that, but I didn't actually start until I was like 16 or so. Um, I started playing drums really early. And I I played drums from the time I was about six, you know, until basically until mandolin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even up until I was 16, I was playing in like a rock band that didn't actually play. We just kind of jammed together at the house. But I was, you know, that was my thing. We would play Zeppelin and Metallica songs and stuff like that. (laughs) Nice. And at the same time, I was was listening to Sam Bush still and all that. And I, I started playing guitar somewhere in there even tried banjo, but, but like, it, you know, just never was my thing. But then I remember I knew who Tony Rice was. I'd seen him when I was like, you know, I saw the Rice Rowan quartet at some point when I was at 10 or 12 or something. Um, and I found a copy of the pizza tapes. Um, this is the CD like in my dad's room or something or, you know, somewhere in the house, I found the pizza tapes and I was like, Oh, cool. Tony Rice, you know, cool album cover too, (laughs) (laughs) which helped me pick, helped me pick it up. But then I heard Grisman on there. start doing this like, i need to get a mandolin nice so i basically started just being into it but i didn't have a mandolin uh, so i would i would like go to music stores and i think the music store in norton where i grew up didn't even have any so i would i would like some days i would just drive like an hour and go to the music store in kingsport or somewhere 
and just play mandolins for a while and just mess around and see what I could do and that kind of thing. And, and, and I, I kept wanting one and then I kind of just stopped. Like I was probably 15 or so when that happened and I kind of just stopped and started playing guitar or drums or something again and forgot about it. <laughs> um, but then at one point my dad had borrowed a mandolin from his brother and he was going to play it. Like he was going to, it was this Peter White a model like a snakehead copy oh no kidding yeah so it's if you've seen uh peter Ostrushko has like the other one i think there's only a few of these mm-hmm. um really great sounding mandolin man uh, i still play it sometimes i borrow it from my uncle but he brought that home and like i don't think he ever played it when i, I saw it and i just started messing with it and like i basically have you know played mandolin since he brought that home for himself <laughs> that's so cool man um but yeah, I mean, I just, I just kind of started then. And I started, I was really listening to Grisman a lot. Um, good, good, just good starting point. <laughs> yeah, nice, nice little place to start. Yeah. Um, especially when you're, you know, just trying to play the melody or something. He's like the man for just playing the melody. Yeah. Uh, With such tone. <laughs> yeah, for real. And, and I think around that time, I, you know, I still knew Sam as my biggest reference for like good mandolin playing with Sam Bush. Um, so I was learning just a lot of Sam stuff, or at least attempting to, you know, it's like I was trying to figure out sailing shoes. Um, figured out some fiddle tunes that I'd learned on guitar before that. Um, it kind of just became like completely consuming. And by the time I was 16 or 17, like I was just doing that every day, all day. Like I would come home from school and just play mandolin. But yeah, I mean, in and sense, it's just, it's the thing. Like I just haven't even thought about anything else. <laughs> yeah. Was that your, was your goal then? Like to just be like, I just, I want to, focus on music that is like what i want to do with my life kind of i mean i I didn't really know i thought i wanted to go to school to be like an engineer i played in the marching band in high school i was in drumline oh cool Uh, so i i one of my things was like i I definitely wanted to go to college and do marching band in college um just because it was so fun but i mean when when i kind of got this other outlet for music i was you know i was going to go somewhere and study engineering and be in the marching band and whatnot but uh when i started playing mandolin that was like a different and bigger outlet um so that kind of just became the focus like um i didn't really have much time to consider anything else at that point (laughs) (laughs) sure it was like all right if i'm gonna go to college i should probably go ahead and figure that out and choose wisely for the mandolin (laughs) that's great I almost went to Berkeley. Um, oh, wow. I got pretty good money and I'd done like a summer camp at Berkeley before that mm-hmm. for a weekend, like four days or something. I did this Berkeley camp, but um, I ended up just coming to ETSU because it's so close to where I grew up. Sure. Um, Adam Steffi was one of my teachers. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with uh with that no <laughs> and he was cool, man. He, he taught classes too. Like he left, he left a year or two ago, but he taught classes like uh, one of his classes. We always called it story time with Steffi, <laughs> but it was like a music business class. And it was just talking about, you know, it wasn't music business in the sense of like Belmont or somewhere that's, that's good, but they're going to teach you like the business business. But right. You know, Steffi's kind of class was just about like, all right, if you want to start a band and do it, this is all the stuff you have to do. You know, if you're going to be booking shows for someone, here's what you need to you know, know. And wow, that's good, good knowledge to have too. It, and it would always just be anything he explained. He had these like crazy, you know, Mountain Heart or Union Station or Boxcar stories to back it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, 
so he was he was always great um to have around as a teacher and then there's another guy adam tanner oh yeah who he's like you know until i started studying with adam i was pretty much like a very progressively focused player Mm -hmm. Uh, i I, you know i was and i mean i still am but i was before adam i had had, I, i knew monroe tunes i knew stuff but i didn't really like study the vernacular mm-hmm. in that same kind of way but adam is like a mandolin historian and you know he would he has all these like monroe variations yeah, and, like, adam tanner super, correct yeah adam yeah, tanner. yeah and and super like uh just weird ways of playing like um uh, one of the tunes we did on the castle brothers album is this it's this bill monroe tune that bill wrote and never recorded oh cool um but i think like some people have shared around tapes of it and that's how that's how he got it um i think he said he got it from compton maybe oh i bet yeah mike's yeah that would be the guy it's this cool like little that kind of thing oh wow yeah yeah so it's it's this very left hand specific like super cool just Monroe and, and I started studying that a lot um, later in college with Adam Tanner and that was just like totally eye-opening because it got me really really into just old school mandolin style um, like we learned a lot of Frank Wakefield stuff oh nice uh, Scottdale String Band. Oh, I'm just not familiar band. with them. Yeah, it's just it's like this old time group, but there's mandolin stuff in that, and some of the tunes. And, semesters but uh, definitely i still go back to those lesson recordings and i'll try to figure out like these weird monroe voicings and left hand patterns and it's so strange it's it's totally different than anything else to just learn these like straight up monroe patterns because it's not it's like so unstandardized yeah the monroe rule that uh, adam tanner taught me is that if you can't figure it out if you can't figure out what's happening like nine times out of 10, if you think there's two notes, but you can't figure out what they are, uh-huh. it's one note played twice. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the Monroe thing. And it's, it's, it's all over it, man. Like, and all these drags and slides. I mean, Compton's the man for it. Oh, for uh, sure. Which that's like, I think Compton's definitely my favorite episode on this podcast. Um, just talking about some of that stuff and how he, you know, and it's funny because, uh, you know, I hadn't even heard him talk about that, but I do that just silent mandolin playing, kind of dragging my fingers around. Oh, yeah. That's, the, I love yeah. it, man. It's such a cool I've, thing. Yeah. I've done that forever just to try to get those slides. And it's cool to hear that, like, that's Compton's way of doing it. Yeah. Um, oh, that's awesome. But yeah, Adam Tanner is, he's, he's such a great resource for that. And, uh, I was really lucky to study with him for a while. Uh, I've done other lessons and stuff too. That was pretty much everything for the university. Mm-hmm. Um, which I mean, there's there's other stuff. I played in ensembles and stuff, and um, we had a Grisman band for I think one or two semesters. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, Steffi played mandolin with me. 
he played uh, all the twin parts with me. Um, we did like we did key signature, all that stuff. Um, yeah, Steffi actually, he told me a story that he went to a record shop when he first started playing mandolin, and he bought the original Grisman Quintet and the Bill Monroe Master of Bluegrass. And he, because uh, those were like the two mandolin records they had. Um, and he went home and he put on Master of Bluegrass and it was like mind-blowing. And he wanted to learn some of it, but then he put on DGQ and he like didn't touch Master of Bluegrass for months. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the Grisman Quintet stuff, I guess he said was some of the first stuff he learned. Some of those tunes like uh, you know, EMD and, uh, and what else is on that album? Uh, Ricochet, all that stuff. Yeah, that album. And it's 16, funny, man. He 16. Knows, yeah, he knows all those tunes. Man, that's wild to think because you don't really associate. I mean, I, well, it's, I guess it's wild because you associate Steffi with um, Steffi. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like, no, it's so unique. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you just you just don't think he. You know, it's funny you don't think of his influences because he just sounds like him. Like Grisman sounds like Grims, Grisman, and like Bush sounds like Bush in that sense of like. Yeah, Steffi is like the most unique sound. Um, he listened to a lot of uh, Dempsey Young, too, with The Lost and Found. And yeah, Dempsey had this like kind of bouncy way. A lot of, uh, I'll mess this up, but a lot of that kind of stuff, you know. So Steffi would do that a lot. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, mostly just those two guys were kind of my main two to study with. Um, actually, one of my first mandolin guys I, I got into, like actually learning his solos and stuff was this guy, Joe Boer. Um, he was just, he, he lives here in Johnson city. He did. I think he might've moved to Kingsport or, or somewhere, you know, a few miles down the road, but um, he hardly plays anymore. Even then he didn't really play anymore. He's still great, but like he's he's a jujitsu instructor. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. So if you think about it, his hand, he, he he makes pretty good fret contact. Like he, his tone is super clean. Uh, but there's this record, uh, "Newfound Road Live at the Down Home," which it's at the Down Home right here in Johnson City. And man, the mandolin playing on there is is like phenomenal. It's so good. Um, like the first track, the solo is just this awesome just g g modal kind of mashy mandolin so that and then i guess um right around that same time when i was like 17 18 and there uh, Nick Dumas, he actually moved to Johnson City because he was playing with special. He had started playing with Special C, and I actually almost bought a mandolin for him. Now that I'm, yeah, before before I got my Gibson that I have now, I was looking for a mandolin. I almost got. He had this A model Collings, like an, I don't know, I don't know what the models called, but it was like the varnish A five. Um great mandolin it's like the one of the best collings mandolins i've heard uh, and it's actually oddly enough man it's it's the one that made steffi get a collings that was the story on it oh really yeah it steffi played it at a festival one time just borrowing it and he got a collings after that holy cow <laughs> uh, it was a great mandolin i don't know who ended up with it but um but yeah so Nick, Nick was another one of those guys that I got to sit down and kind of just hang out and play with, um, you know, when I couldn't really hang out and play that well. <laughs> All right. Not that I can anymore now, but. Oh, shoot. Um, well, I mean, how soon into this is it that you won the Rocky Grass? That was actually right about that time. I was, I, think I was, I was like 18 when I did that. No kidding, man. That's awesome. What was that like? It was fun. I, I mean, I, it was definitely my goal. Like I, I, I went there to, to try to get, I, I don't care about winning a contest, but I care about getting a free instrument. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I worked pretty hard for like a couple of months 
arranging fiddle tunes and you know working on contest stuff mm-hmm. what were the um, tunes that you played oh man i think I, I i played uh i definitely did old danger field cool um brilliancy was another one. Oh, nice um because like you don't you don't hear that in like mailing contests or anything mm-hmm. but it's like this texas fiddle contest classic so i like, work yeah. that up and nice uh Forked Deer is another one. Uh, and then Roanoke. That was another one, too. Oh, I love, dude, I love playing Roanoke. I've been playing that like yeah. crazy like the last two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been playing Forked Deer actually a bunch. Oh, have you really? <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so I did those four and, and ended up getting this uh, one of the last Sam Bush model Gibsons uh, put out. It's, it's one of the only ones with quilted maple back and sides. Oh, okay, cool. So it's got this nice, you know, different kind of pattern on the back. Beautiful back, beautiful sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, great mandolin. Um, it's a little bit lighter than a lot of them, too. A lot of them have the black black to brown kind of sunburst. But this one is a light brown on the edges. Or, or sorry, dark brown on the edges, and it goes to light brown on the inside. Oh, nice. So it's more of a tobacco kind of thing. Uh, but, yeah, amazing mandolin. I mean, you can't really hear it through speakers that well you know really clear up here high on the neck yeah it's a great instrument i've done some stuff to it Mm -hmm. but not not a whole lot i've got like a james tail piece that i put on it new tuners and stuff lots of setups you know sure sure so is that is that sam bush model one is that on your very first uh your your ep uh mellifluous It's actually not. Um, yeah, it's. I played a. Uh, I got this right around that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I played. I had this. The first mandolin I bought that I didn't borrow from. Like I, my uncle had several mandolins, and I just borrowed some of those for a little while. Uh, the first mandolin I bought was a Kentucky. But it was weird, man. I, I found it in this pawn shop, and I've never seen one that's the same. It the serial number is like 1980 something maybe uh-huh. 86 and they were made in like san francisco around then huh uh, they were made somewhere out west like re- like they were like i don't know if they were hand built but they were like nice wood they were good like i mean they're still pretty decent like starter mandolins but um it's a great mandolin wow that's uh, cool man that's good find brother. yeah my brother hangs on to it right now but uh it was like a great mandolin and it was just sitting in this pawn shop. And, that's, um, a, that's great. Yeah. It sounds really good. I, I played it on that first EP. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, I think that's the only thing I played it on. I played the Gibson and everything else. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You're um, and then your latest, well, I say latest, your last one, yeah. I should say Voyager, which Years is, ago. yeah. So great though, man. And you, um, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the uh, the uh, tune that you do with um, Steffi, where you guys both play mandolin, is yeah, pretty amazing. was a blast yeah we just uh that whole record i was talking to matthew davis banjo player the other day we were recording uh, well we were at the studio for the circus thing and he played on that record and we were like man it it turned out like 
it actually came together well because we just went in the studio and hadn't really worked up any of the stuff. <laughs> we were only in there for like three days. That's awesome. And it got some pretty high praise from Mike Marshall as well. Yeah. Yeah. I sent that to Mike and uh, I had done his Savannah thing. I guess I, I did it twice, which is you're only allowed to do it twice. Um, and I, I wanted to get him to do that just because everyone on the record with the exception of two people, Vince played bass and then Wyatt played guitar on a track. West, he played guitar with the exception of those two guys. Every single person on the record had gone to Mike's acoustic music seminar. Oh, wow, cool! Yeah, so and most of us met there if we didn't go the same year. I mean, if, you know, some oh, of us didn't nice. go the same year. The, mo the majority of us met there at that seminar, um, so it was nice to get Mike involved to do that. Is that something you like apply for? Like, kept a yeah, it's this audition. Yeah, it's this interesting process. I found out about it. Like, I don't even know who sent it to me, to be honest. <laughs> Maybe like, my dad found it on online or something, but I don't know how I found out about it. But it's this, uh, it's like a week-long, pretty intensive music program. Uh, it's in Savannah, Georgia, every year. Mm -hmm. Part of the Savannah Music Festival. And you have to apply. It's You've got to be under 22 to go. And they kind of keep it, they don't even advertise it that much just because it's like, you know, they can only let like 15 people in each year. Sure. But it's, it's like better than a camp. It's, it's totally free once you're there. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. And you know, you have to get yourself there, but otherwise it's free, like two, you know, two meals a day are catered, that kind of thing. Wow. Uh, amazing program. And yeah, I got to do that when I was, I think when I was 18, 19 in there for a couple of years. And I met so many people there. Mike was one of them. Uh, Brian Sutton was one of them. He was an instructor both years that I was there. Oh, cool. Uh, and kind of the way it works is that they've got like four instructors on staff. Um, they had like Mike Marshall, Julian Lodge was there both years. Um, Daryl yeah, Daryl Scott was there one year. Oh, cool. Which was cool. Like, like I had Daryl, like, arranging one of an instrumental tune that I wrote. Like, wow. He's, yeah, amazing. And uh, Ifo Donovan was there once. Um, and, and Brian. And so you kind of have, like, these 15 other acoustic musicians that are into some of the same stuff as you. But it's like this you know, this mess of like, you'll have like three bass players, two mandolin players, four guitar players, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and they just make these different ensembles. You would do two or three sessions a day where, you know, you would just go off to like eight in the morning, you'd go off for two hours with the group and you'd start working on music that you'd never heard. Oh, wow. And, and it's like someone in that group is the leader and they brought this piece of music. Oh, and no you have, kidding. yeah. And you have one of the, uh, instructors with you for these groups and they'll help you like arrange it it's, it's like almost like you're going to go do a recording session holy cow that's so cool man uh, yeah it's it's amazing uh you you do that and you do that like two or three a day for a week and by thursday or friday you know you've got like 30 songs um <laughs> and they'll they'll you know all the instructors will pick out the strongest stuff mm-hmm and then you'll spend like the next day working stuff up and then you do a show uh, with all the performers and you do, you know, uh, all these original tunes. And they actually, they released a compilation CD um, of like selected cuts from the, the past uh, eight years or so. Oh, cool. But actually, I think those cuts only range through 2016. Gotcha. I can, right. 
but um yeah it's it's amazing man like some if you look at just like the alum list it's ridiculous <laughs> yeah yeah that, um, that's a that's so cool mike's boy yeah mike is just like all about yeah. keeping it going and 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 supporting and helping this instrument grow like crazy yeah i mean it's i like i can't thank mike and and jenny the arts director and like all the people that do that enough i mean it's like the most amazing thing i've ever done still oh cool uh, you got to do it twice <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that, that's amazing i mean it's it's mostly responsible for everything else i've done too like i met i met matthew davis there who i started circus number nine with um like i've gotten just so much out of it indirectly mm -hmm. that circus number nine album's great too man just oh, thank cool just cool tunes and like you can hear yeah. you could definitely hear some of the different influences like from like um you know like some older style bluegrass but definitely more like progressive sort of bluegrass and i i mean i definitely hear a little bit of an aquarium rescue unit sort of feel even in the first album Definitely some Monday licks on a couple of those songs. <laughs> nice. Um, I think I, I totally ripped off on one of the songs. There's this uh, uh, a bunch of that mirrors of embarrassment uh, acoustic Monday stuff. I mean, he all the electric mandolin's cool, but he has that five string, so I can't totally do it. Yeah, yeah, super frustrating when you try to transcribe uh, it out, and then you go some run on that low string, and you try to transcribe it, so it's like, well, I'll just play it on yeah. a higher string. You're like, it's not the same, man. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even that stuff we threw in some ARU feel, and um, Monday's another one of those guys. It's like at the same time I was going down this Monroe hole. Mm -hmm. I was all. I'm also like learning this Monday stuff. And it's a cool, like, little, you know, diversion from one another. Sure. Um, it's like a palate cleanser, I think, sometimes when you're, like, studying something for so long and then you have another thing that's similar but still so off the path that it keeps you just motivated. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah I, can, I can dig into this for a while. Some of the Monday stuff, too, like – you know, a lot of it's just on these crazy tunes that you'll never play. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, basically frightened or like, a, uh, 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 the, uh, whatever it's called. Um, it's not the same old thing. Oh yeah. Air, uh, that stuff. But there's also like all these recordings of the ARU doing like new river train or, uh, right. sitting on top of the world. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I can learn these solos and I can like, I can digest these licks and I, I, you know, know exactly where I can use them because it's, it's referenced with bluegrass. Mm -hmm. it's like there's, there's this solo. Um, I think I sent you the tape for that one time. Oh, the, sitting on the, the world. Yeah. yes, you did. Yeah, it does like these, it's almost like Coltrane or something You're like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I was stunned to hear that he wasn't like into much jazz when I interviewed him. I thought for sure yeah. he would be like, oh yeah, I listened to Coltrane for like two years. And I'm like, yeah, of course you did. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. He was just, I think that was kind of the magic of like Colonel Bruce's. He could just pull that out of people. Yeah, this relatively short period of time between you really picking up a mandolin and then winning Rocky Grass and going to mike marshall's camp twice uh, so what are the things that you kind of focused on playing wise that really helped you develop i mean because you're such an incredible player man like again you're like uh, to hear yeah. you say that you picked it up a little bit later or like you know i, I would have thought you were a guy that played it since you were you're like oh well, well i was two and i just you know was, yeah. had big hands for a two-year-old and <laughs> i 
I'd be better off. But uh. <laughs> no, I don't know, man. <laughs> so what is it that you kind of worked on and focused on you know, for people listening to kind of be like, oh, yeah, so this is how you can, uh, you know, apply some different things? Yeah, well, like I didn't have anybody to play with. I mean, I had my dad and my brother. And my, even then, like my brother's four years older than me and he was working and stuff. And he had played, but he didn't actually get into it deep until a couple of years after I got into it. Deep. Oh, okay. Wow. He had played guitar like his whole life, but it was never, it was always a side thing. And like where I grew up, there's not much opportunity for even like jams or playing gigs or anything like that. So it's like, you know, if you can't really have fun doing it on your own, you can't have fun doing it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but then, you know, I was like 16, 17 and I, I could drive and I could go places. And I would drive like an hour just to, play one tune with somebody ah. <laughs> um, so started doing a lot of that and like main practice i just learned tunes mm -hmm. and, and you know like as as a general i mean i practice things too but like learning tunes was such a big thing because it helped fill like the the gap of like when i go play with people i can play all the same stuff as them at least right um, so i mean just learning like two or three fiddle tunes a day i would i would watch YouTube videos like for jams and see what people were playing at festivals and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so that was a big thing. And also just playing along with recordings mm -hmm. to get like a feel for playing with a band, like um, especially something like the bluegrass album band where there's not many mandolin solos. Oh yeah. You can just like chop and really lay into it and like focus on just playing with somebody. Yeah, and the other great thing is that that's like metronome practice without a metronome. Like, you don't really realize yeah. it, but it's very – even if they didn't record with a click, it's still metronomic. You know what I mean? It's got Yeah, that. and you're having to account for, like, where you are on the beat, just listening to the bass and the guitar and everything else. Right, uh, right. So that's, like, so that, invaluable. Yeah. If you ever don't want to practice to a metronome and you're just going to play rhythm, you know. Yeah. Sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll chop with a metronome, mm -hmm. sure. but that's not really – to practice that's mostly to like you know use the microscope and whatnot and right. see like okay, am i doing anything stupid in my chop <laughs> sometimes i'll hear a recording and I'm like, I'm like man like i'm doing this thing over and over and over and i don't even notice it <laughs> <laughs> you're in the moment most, man <laughs> yeah most of the time like playing with recordings is, is the thing for you know rhythm practice for me mm-hmm um, even different things, man, like stuff that doesn't have a mandolin, like String Dusters albums. Those are fun to play with. Oh, yeah. I love that first like, String Dusters album. That album was, I saw oh, yeah. I saw them at the yeah. Ark in Ann Arbor with about maybe 15 other people. <laughs> it was like their very first tour. <laughs> there was nobody there. And they yeah. just crushed it. Two sets worth. It was man great it, you, it was it was like they were playing like you know a giant festival stage you know they were just so good there's a fork in the road can't seem to make up my mind don't know which way to go i'm sure running out of time i'm all alone with my suitcase in my head can't find my to the promised land There's a fork in the road Can't seem to make up my mind I've always wanted to have Tim Stafford produce an album mm -hmm. for me or for a band I'm with just because he produced that album. <laughs> Great sounding album. I know he's, I know, I'm sure he's produced other things, but just like that one alone is like, all right, obviously it works. Like I'm just going to get him to do that. <laughs> right, yeah your songwriting stuff especially with um circus number nine and your your solo album voyager um definitely i don't want to say not traditional because i don't i don't it's just you you have some really cool sure. changes some interesting stuff in there that's um you know like like kind of like a grisman album would be say but without necessarily yeah. sounding doggish it's just got you know how do you how do you work on tunes well it's funny. A lot of the Voyager stuff was, you know, that was like the first thing I really got to dump most of my tunes on. And a few of those were co-writes like 
think at least three of them. And then I did that Mar West, the Tony song. Um, but it's funny. I mean, most of the, the weirdness just comes from me not really even knowing how to do it the usual way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I learned so many things backwards, you know, I'll figure out how not to do it. And that's how I know how to do it. <laughs> What's a good example from that album that you would be able to point out and say like, Oh yeah, here's a. Yeah. Um, like, like fireside, like the team with Steffi, mm-hmm. like it, it, it doesn't have like a clear meter. It's really messed up. <laughs> like the chart is stupid. It it doesn't make sense at all. Like, but it melodically it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, but it has. It's like this. Uh, like the downbeats are rushed on these sections. Like there's like a, the. Uh, you know, going to the B part. You know, you would think that was resolved you know right but it, it just skips a beat and starts early and the same thing happens like throughout the tune um and so that kind of thing it's like i didn't have this voice in my head that's saying like make it with the meter you know do mm-hmm. it before the whole way <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> like i was kind of just basing it around the melody which is you know it's it's weird because after you play more and more you you just become more standardized sure and there's kind of this not like 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 an obliviousness when you're not you know there's this like obliviousness when you aren't used to like you when you haven't written a thousand tunes there's Mm -hmm. like this right thing that just doesn't tell you how to do it like it does now Mm -hmm. like for for me now if i'm writing a tune like there's this auto autopilot kind of thing that's like okay well (laughs) i know know what to do after this right right Uh, but then it was it was like much more explored it then i guess it is now like i'm still writing tunes and i hope there's still cool stuff in there but oh, those I'm, sure, were, I'm sure there is <laughs> yeah those were fun just because they're so like different and not normal because i just didn't know what that was i didn't know what normal was. same with circus uh, number nine was that or was that pretty collaborative when you guys put that album because again there's like there's definitely parts yeah, mostly, to the tunes you know what i mean collaborative. um and we spent a long time working up that music too it's funny recording didn't take long we we recorded it and it was out like two months later but um but uh working of that music was at least like six months to a year process wow um, yeah i bet yeah because they aren't something that you would just uh, those tunes are and it, it they it doesn't sound like a song somebody could come and be like hey here's a song it's uh it's in g and then they just start playing it and you'd be like, Oh yeah, I'll follow along. It's like, a, yeah, you'd be no, lost it's, it's, pretty quick. <laughs> it's different stuff for sure. Yeah. It's um, great. I think we were playing everything live. I'm pretty sure we we're playing everything live before we released it. Maybe with the exception of one song or mm-hmm. two, but, um, but we, yeah, we've, we were definitely playing the whole record before we did it. So we had a lot of time for it to kind of sit in and make up new parts and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah, you could tell. You can definitely tell it's like an album that was... Yeah, I'm still like, like very happy with that album. Yeah, do you have a favorite track off of it? Ooh. <laughs> Man, honestly, uh, I want to say the song Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. we never play like we played it live like twice (laughs) um it's really hard so we just and like honestly we just have other stuff like to play by the time we by the time we had it worked up to play it live like it just didn't even have a place in the set list you know right right um 
but I like the way that song turned out. Um, it was it was one of those songs that we hadn't been playing very much before we recorded it. So it has like this it has this different energy on it. Mm-hmm. And I think I did I think I did some of the Mundy like up the neck, you know, tremolo, you know. Right. That kind of stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, it's a great album, man. And I mean, I've <laughs> definitely listened to it yeah. a ton and then um, you know, getting ready for this interview too. I was headed on kind of like all weekend long, you know, in the background, like just like just like, oh, there's just so many cool parts, you know, and and, and yeah. just I really love the, the the way the songs change as they're going and the, the yeah, it's just really really good and I was interested to ask you a bit about that songwriting end of it. Do you do um online lessons if people out there are are listening? I do. I've only got one student right now. Oh, right. Um, well, there we go. Yeah, throughout the spring, I've I've taught lessons at ETSU for I started last fall teaching mm-hmm. lessons, mandolin lessons and uh had like five or six mandolin students there. And uh I taught two ensembles too. Oh, cool. But all that stuff's it's summer, so all that stuff's you know out right now. Right, right. I have no idea what's going to happen in the fall. Um, the ensemble thing. I was I was teaching. Uh, I was teaching a band this past spring when the shutdown happened. So we had to get creative about how to actually, <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I give you a grade for doing something? Because what you're supposed to do is show up and play with everyone else. Oh yeah, jeez. Uh, uh, we ended up doing some recording stuff, like remote recordings, people just adding their tracks on. Oh, that's that's a good idea. But yeah, I mean, I've got, I, I do some online teaching. And, and like during the school semesters, I'll, I'll have six or seven students total with, with you know, a couple out of school too. But um, right now it's nice. I only have one. So it's like just kind of a nice thing I do once a week. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, hopefully somebody will listen to this and be like, oh, sweet, man. Go yeah. Check yeah, it I, out. Happy to take on more right now. I mean, obviously super flexible. <laughs> um, I know we did talk about your mandolin. The uh, but mm-hmm. um, you know, in the in my nerdy gearness, I do always like to ask a little bit about the uh, the strings and the uh, and the picks and any other miscellaneous gear you might want to talk about. Yeah, so I and I go through all kinds of stuff. Um, strings, I. I always go back to regular medium. So like 11 E string to 40 G string, mm-hmm. uh, regular medium, nickel bronze, D'Addario. Nice. Um, I, I use other stuff pretty frequently, but like if I'm going to record or if I just want the sound that I like, I just go <laughs> like these. Um, even I like these even more than the Monells, um, which like, I like the sound of Monells, but they don't stay in tune that well. Right. Maybe, maybe like second gen or something because they just started making them a couple of years ago um, or remaking them, I'll say, because they, they quit at some point. Right. You know, right. Two thousands. But um, you know, when you think about it, like Tony Rice and Sam and all these guys in the seventies, like they're all playing on Monells. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why their instruments sound so good. Cause it's like, you don't hear the strings. It's not bright metallic metal. It's like, you just hear the wood. Yeah. Uh, the EXPs too, but they're, those are over. You know, yeah, done. I know. What a bummer, man. Um, and the, the XTs that they replaced them with, they sound okay. They mm-hmm. don't, they don't sound bad, but they don't stay in tune and they pick up like all this oil and acidity off the fingers. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't really use those. I don't know if I need to wash my hands or something, but nah, you're not the, yeah, you're definitely not the only person. I I think I bet you those EXPs that make a reappearance sometime. I, you know, I would hope, I know a lot of people who are really kind of bummed that are like, that. Yeah. you know, what about picks? It's funny. Um, I've kind of always been a blue chip guy. Um, I got a blue chip. I guess I already owned a mandolin, but one of the first things I even got was a blue chip 55, um, the CT one. And I still use it. I still have the first one that I got. I've, I've gotten just a couple of more of those 55s just because they wear out eventually, contrary to what you might believe about blue chips. But if you do play enough, they'll wear down a little bit. Uh, and they, they, they all sound different, which is an interesting thing. Like I can pick up, I can pick up three fifty fives and like two of them don't have wear on them at all. 
um, but they sound different. It's just, you know, interesting, not bad, but um, right, right. Each one sounds a little bit different. So that's one thing. If you have one that you don't like, just try another one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, I got two more, two more questions for you, buddy. Oh, sure, man. Yeah. And, um, and the first one is my, uh, my 10 minute a day question, where if you had 10 minutes to uh, recommend somebody to work on something, what is something that you would recommend that would help somebody become a better player? This is always my favorite segment, man. Sometimes it's I actually, mine too. <laughs> if I don't, uh, like if I'm, if I see a new podcast is out with somebody and I don't have like the chunk of time to listen to at all immediately, I'll just skip, I'll find this section. Yeah. Sweet man. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know. I, I sit down I, more and more. I go back to like my right hand mm-hmm. because luckily like my dad, you know, he's a better player than he would say he is, but that was the thing he always told me. Like when I started playing, it's like your left hand doesn't matter. Like, I mean, of course it matters a little bit, but you got to have good contact with the strings and stuff. But if your right hand can't function as it should, then your left hand is, it's worthless. You know? <laughs> right. So I go back to these, I, I think they came from Chris Thiele. I'm sure there's just other people that have came up with their own way. And I've eventually gone to my own way of doing it. There's just these right hand exercises and I'll put a metronome on and I'll just go string by string. And then I'll start mixing it up some. I'll do upstrokes, like uh, crossing the strings, like, which is what I call like outside picking. Mm-hmm. And then I'll go like this. And that just kind of challenges your, the, that's inside picking. And you can even do this thing where you use the G string or E string going backwards to jump. So you can do. It's, you know, you don't have to do it very long, but it's like push-ups or like a one-mile run. It's like not much. Right. But it's like amazing. If you do it for like months, then it just, it, you're so, you have so much control. Yeah, dude, that, I, that, some of those exercises, like I, you know, I've, I've got like a new one every week or two that I use and I'll, I'll warm up with it. But then if I'm like watching TV or something like that, I'll just start doing it. And, uh, you know, kind of fortunately, yeah. my wife is very tolerant of the uh, <laughs> of the mandolin plan during television time. And um, and I uh, just, you know, you just go to play something one day and you're just like, whoa, that was way more effortless or wow, that tone, you know, yeah. I was like, you know, that's that's what I'm going for. Yeah, really. I mean, like I noticed it most if I'm in a jam or something and I'm I'm like wow, like I feel like I can do like any idea that I have. Yeah. Because you have total control with your right hand. Um, it's funny, I, I do the TV practice thing too. Ned Lubarecki talks about that a lot. He That's one thing he does. Um, I started doing it because probably about a year ago, I, I started watching Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. And I, I just got so like addicted and binging it. I was like, this is so bad for like, me practicing and me wanting to do stuff so i just started like picking up my mail and I, I just practiced through the whole thing i would do right hand exercises and run scales yeah same here it's, man it, it, it's almost better i mean you should do them attentively right at some point you know and, sure. and make sure you're getting contact you know you're doing this really do the microscope thing but you know i started just doing scales and stuff like that and, and to be able to do them without having to think about it or concentrate or focus is like almost better right. for practicing in my opinion, because you get this just second, it's like just the second, uh, oh shit, what's the expression? Second, uh, second nature, second, second nature. Yeah. It's just, it just becomes like a thing you do, like texting or typing on a keyboard or right. you, know, you don't have to think about it. If you keep up the mindless practicing. And then the very last thing it is mandolins and beer. Do you yeah. uh, do you have a, a favorite beer that you like to drink? Man, I go off and on. Like I, I kind of stopped drinking a lot during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did too. Because uh, 
getting fat. I don't really like, <laughs> yeah, bad. I don't like to drink at home because you know you can't be like, oh, I got to drive home. Like, I'm only gonna have two <laughs> right. beers. If you're drinking at home, you can just do whatever you want. Uh, I mean, I live downtown anyway, but uh, it's you know I I haven't been drinking a lot recently at all. Um, I'm not to be honest. I'm not a huge craft beer person. Mm-hmm. I like a lot, but I've I found like small small production craft beers to just be too skunky sometimes sure. and like you know not have not have like the total crispness and flavor that i want just because i feel like you know they can be limited in production means and stuff like that which sure well they're also like, always trying to it seems like lately too one of the trends is to out skunk and out sour yeah. the next guy yeah <laughs> <laughs> i do like sours uh though i'm, I'm definitely not like an ipa person mm-hmm. you know i don't like to drink super dense beers or anything although i, I like like quarters really dark stuff like that like um i had a favorite beer i mean this might even get me kicked off the show but if, I had a, <laughs> if i mow my yard and i'm sweating and i want to go inside and have a beer miller high life yeah dude that's just my it's my favorite beer yeah man um, dude and also it's a safe beer too you know what I mean? Like it's you can, fun. you can. It's a safe beer. Like you can have some of those before a gig or during a gig. Oh yeah. And you're yeah. not going to be just like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> you know, you, you don't feel like you ate a loaf of bread. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Miller um, Highlight's got a got a purpose, buddy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's great, man. Like I like other stuff. I, I really like uh, most of the dogfish. Uh, yeah. Beers, like Sequence is really good. Yeah, they uh, do great beers. Uh, but man, like I, I just. Miller High Life is is essentially my D'Addario nickel nickel bronze. <laughs> it's always the one. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, dude, thank you so much for doing the podcast, man. I really, really yeah, appreciate man. it. Yeah, to do it. Uh, it's uh, been a pleasure. And then ne- next time you're down in Charleston, you're not far. We can we can hit some breweries. Yeah. I'll take you. I'll show you some crisp beers that are down here that you might dig. Nice. Yeah. Will do, man. Yeah, hopefully I'll be there for the festival. Yeah, when it happens. God, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, man. Happy to be on the show. <laughs>